Hello and welcome to Euromoney at COP26. My name is Lucy Fitzgeorge-Parker. I'm the editor for Sustainable Finance at Euromoney magazine, and I'm your host for this podcast, in which I'll be bringing you news and views from the UN Climate Conference in Glasgow. My guest today is James Close, Director of Climate Change at NatWest, which is the banking sponsor of COP26. James joined the bank in 2018 after four years at the World Bank, where he was also Director of Climate Change, and he had previously worked in various roles at consultancies and in the UK government, including a two-year stint at the Treasury. He spoke to me on Tuesday from a special Zoom room in the back of NatWest's branch inside the Blue Zone at COP. I started by asking him if it was still pretty busy in Glasgow in the second week of the conference. Um, yes, it is. There's uh, There's been a huge buzz yesterday when uh, Barack Obama came through and really, uh, I think, presented the uh, challenge and the opportunity that we're faced really very starkly. And, and he reminded us that it's easy to get a bit despondent around where we are on the climate journey and that we need to channel our hopefulness uh, to make the change that's required. So uh, COP this morning is digesting that, I think, and come back with renewed energy. And of course, uh, the negotiators are back now in uh, full force uh, looking at the individual work streams that are being co-chaired by the ministers that were appointed yesterday. So it feels as though we're pivoting now towards the uh, the production of the texts, and I think that's going to be a really important uh, part of how uh, the impact that this COP has um, as we uh, exit it, um, which I think is going to be a signal of the success. Uh, Lord Stern said to us that the thing to watch out for was that there's uh, more momentum coming out of the COP than there is going into it. And I think the next few days are going to be critical to demonstrate that that's the case. Do you have much of a feeling yet as to what what we might see coming out of this and at the end of the conference? Well, I think there's some concern that the initial text is a little bit weak. And normally you start off with something ambitious and it kind of gets uh, uh, moved back by some of the uh, parties as the conversations go on. Uh, but it may well be that that's uh, part of the tactics around all of this is to uh, get a greater level of ambition. And I think um, there's also what all the parties agree to, which is obviously part of the, the Paris text. Uh, but I think there's also what's happened in the subgroups and, and that's demonstrated some momentum around um, uh, avoiding deforestation, methane, GFANS, some of the things that were really being pushed forward last week. And of the things we have seen so far, what do you think have been the most significant from the perspective of the financial sector? Well, of course, uh, I'd say GFANS. Um, I think a huge amount of effort had gone in from Mark Carney and team uh, to push that forward and to get $130 trillion worth of finance associated with it. And we were delighted to be uh, one of the first signatories to the Net Zero Banking Alliance. Uh, and I think that brings together asset owners, asset managers, bankers and many others in a coalition that can change the way in which uh, finance flows through the system. And that's going to be central to making the change. And I think that the message from the finance community is that the money is there, it's available, and uh, we need uh, the politicians and governments to help enable that to flow. And, and particularly for emerging markets and developing countries, we need the multilaterals to uh, play their role in de-risking some of those investment opportunities. Uh, so I think GFANS was a significant uh, uh, part of the architecture. Uh, I think uh, there's been some really interesting discussions around carbon markets, again, 
It's been uh, quite uh, controversial, I think, as expected. Uh, but I think um, people are sticking to their guns and demonstrating that high-quality carbon credits really are a, a central part of uh, making the transition. And I think that feeds into the Article 6 negotiations. Again, a strong Article 6 statement would help uh, the corresponding adjustments that come out of that ensure that the uh, carbon credits were really uh, really strong and credible um, and that they could be uh, part of raised ambition rather than what the NGOs fear, which is just a way of uh, greenwashing some of the activity. So those from the finance sector, a couple of really important things, I think. And then, you know, uh, important signals on um, energy. And uh, I think also uh, the uh, reference to adaptation and resilience yesterday was quite significant. Um, again, you know, money is needed to support adaptation and resilience. And that, uh, I think is where uh, the banks and others can step in. Well, talking of what we've heard from governments, uh, specifically for the UK, last week uh, we heard the Chancellor Rishi Sunak pledging to create the world's first net zero aligned financial centre in the UK. I mean, uh, I'm not entirely sure what that means yet, but how realistic do you think that is and what would it mean for the British banking sector? Yeah, well, I think it, it ties in nicely, really, with what's been going on through the City of London Corporation and the Green Horizon Summit and the, uh, you know, really groundbreaking uh, work that's happened from the UK Green Finance Institute. So I think the foundations are there. Uh, I think the intentions of many of the actors are, are very good to be part of that net zero aligned financial centre. Uh, and I think it makes sense in differentiating the UK and the UK's finance capability uh, globally. Um, so I think it could be a really um, powerful enabler of, uh, of UK growth and the success of the uh, financial services sector in the UK. Uh, of course, it has to be authentically delivered. And I think it also has to uh, harness the skills and capabilities that are already uh, within the city and supplement them with, uh, you know, more and more people that have got a deep knowledge of green financing and the what's required for the transition. Okay, so where do you see specifically for NatWest the biggest challenges and opportunities in supporting the transition to net zero? Uh, well, I think uh, for us, uh, we're delighted to be playing our role in GFANS and uh, Alison Rose, our chief executive, is uh, one of the co-chairs of the uh, Workstream 3 for GFANS, which is real economy transitions. And I think that's where we really think we have a role to play in being practical actors in enabling those real economy transitions to take place. And I think we can do that uh, in the corporate world uh, through our work with the big corporations, uh, helping them get on paths towards credible transition plans. Uh, we can do it with small and medium sized enterprises where the work that we did on um, the uh, springboard to a sustainable recovery report uh, talked about a $160 billion revenue opportunity and 130,000 jobs to be created from SMEs uh, if they can get access to the tools that they need to help them uh, be part of the transition. So again, that's a role that we can build practical help towards. And similarly, uh, for our retail customers, we've just uh, embedded in our uh, retail banking app uh, the uh, fintech Kogo, which is the, um, a carbon tracking uh, tool. Um, and we think that's going to be a really good way of engaging with customers and helping them understand what their emissions are today and what they can do about reducing those as quickly as possible. So I think that's our role. It's really practical. Um, it, it links to uh, helping our clients succeed, uh, giving them access to the finance that they need. 
um, and uh, being part of the transition in a really proactive way and playing our role uh, as centrally as we can. And I think, um, you know, that needs to feed into growth in our business and the effectiveness of, of the way in which we deploy our balance sheet. Um, and of course, we'll now need to think about carbon as we uh, implement our objectives to reduce the uh, climate impact of our uh, lending by half uh, by uh, 2030. So, you know, we, we're, we're well on the journey, but there's, again, these are, as we try and grapple with the substance of each of these challenging areas, we're, uh, we're having to confront new challenges. And I think uh, being here for a week, having our Exco here has given us a huge momentum and a real commitment to do that and to be part of the solution. Well, NatWest has been quite ahead of the curve on a lot of these areas of the transition. Now, one of the things I do hear from the big global banks when I ask them about players like NatWest and, and other relatively smaller banks that have been leading, they say, well, it's easier for smaller banks. They don't have the sort of global exposures. They don't have the big hard to abate sector exposure that we have. I mean, is that fair at all? Well, I think uh, each organization has to make their own decisions and you know we may not be quite as big but the nature of the decisions are uh, just as complicated and they're equally material for our balance sheets and our, our business so uh, and i think that's a, a good example of where collaboration is helpful because there's no point as each uh, reinventing the wheel for every time we want to go through our carbon budgets process. We can come together and learn from each other. And again, that's, I think, an opportunity that GFANS provides. And I think, again, our voice has been helpful uh, in uh, challenging us all to really increase our level of ambition um, and to accelerate the transition. And, and, you know, we genuinely are all in this together. Um, if we get to 2030 and we haven't halved uh, our emissions, then we really uh, leave ourselves very exposed to a temperature increase of much greater than one and a half degrees. And I don't think we, any of us can stand still and let that happen. Uh, so we're doing everything that we can. We hope our competitors and peers are doing uh, the same as well. And we're committed to sharing what we've learned um, and ensuring that we can get there as quickly as possible. Well, one more question. We've been seeing more focus at COP and indeed before COP over the past year or two on the intersection between climate and nature and the the focus on the fact that there is a nature crisis as well as a climate crisis. Now, I know that NatWest has been involved in the launch of the Task Force for Nature-Related Financial Disclosures. What do you think the opportunities or the um, obligations for banks are in, in that respect? Well, I think it's a really interesting question. I mean, in many ways, we've got our head around carbon because we can measure it and we're now able to work out uh, how much carbon sits on our balance sheet and what we're going to do to reduce it. Um, nature is a bit more of a challenging area to get to grips with with a single metric. So we've, uh, we've put on our website our biodiversity and nature policy. Um, it helps us move forward, I think, in terms of uh, collaborating and innovating in those areas to give some good examples of the sorts of things that we're doing. Um, and I feel as though we've learned a huge amount by spending uh, time with uh, you know, the uh, Get Nature Positive initiative, for example, um, and also with the TNFD uh, teams. Um, and our challenge will be to integrate that into the way in which we're uh, lending and thinking about how we run our business. Um, I think in our own account, we've done some really interesting work on landscape rep restoration through the NatWest Foundation in India. 
uh, and we're also uh, buying carbon credits that really um, align with uh, that ambition to be uh, much more nature positive. Um, so I think uh, it's a different type of challenge, uh, but I think it's one that we're all really relishing because in many ways you can you can connect nature may be more difficult to measure, but you can connect it better with customers and they see it firsthand in terms of you know air quality, um, you know the uh, biodiversity that's around them, and and, and we all love to uh, relate to and connect with nature. So, uh, in many ways, that's going to be the holy grail for finance and banks that we can really connect it to nature in a positive way. And we're we're very committed to doing that. And we've had some fantastic conversations over the last last couple uh, last couple of days here in um, in Glasgow, and we'll be taking some of those forward to explore partnerships uh, for some of our customers. So we'll be taking away ideas for partnership uh, with uh, with our agricultural customers, with the largest um, uh, bankers of the agricultural sector in the UK. Uh, we're already trialling some um, footprinting tools with the Sustainable Food Trust, um, and we'll look to build out the coalition that we can put together uh, to demonstrate uh, collaboration with farmers to help them do what they really want to do, which is produce food in the most sustainable way and also to um, to be stewards for uh, the land that they're responsible for. Uh, and again, I think that's, um, that, that could really help uh, the UK become much more nature positive and um, ensure uh, nature restoration in the, in the most uh, proactive and positive manner. Fantastic. Well, that is definitely something that I will be looking forward to hearing more about. Uh, but for the moment, I'll let you go. And thank, but thank you very much, James, for taking the time to talk to me today. My pleasure and great to chat uh, to you. Thank you very much, Dean. Well, that's it for today. I'll be back with more news and views from Glasgow in our next episode. So please keep a lookout for that. And in the meantime, thanks for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.